say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hey, everybody. I have privatized all of the old episodes of Morbidology, and I'm currently in the process of re-recording and uploading them. These episodes, and the older ones that I've privatized, aren't the best in terms of my hosting abilities and the editing. I suggest you go to one of the newer episodes and then work your way back as I re-upload the old episodes. Please don't judge the show on these older episodes. And thank you so much for choosing Morbidology. Now is not the time to be overpaying for razors at the drugstore. Harry's knows that sometimes it's better to stay indoors. That's why they ship directly to you, meaning that you can experience the quality of a Harry shave in just a few days from the safety and convenience of your own home. Harry's makes award-winning razors, along with an amazing and extensive range of grooming essentials, and they even offer premium blade refills as low as $2 each. That's up to 55% off compared to the price of the Gillette Fusion Pro Shield. Harry's is a return to the essential, quality craftsmanship at a fair price. They stand by their product so much that they offer a 100% quality guarantee. Now here is the good part. Listeners of Morbidology can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com forward slash morbidology. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. So head on over to harrys.com forward slash morbidology to start shaving better today. Welcome to Morbidology, the podcast. I'm your host, Emily G. Thompson, author of Unsolved Child Murders, Cults Uncovered, and co-author of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Cases Uncovered. Join me weekly as I uncover some of the world's most heinous murders.
University Lacrosse is renowned for its predominantly white, privately educated, rich kid reputation, and over the years, it's the main sport in university that routinely suffers from damaging scandals. These scandals always grip the media, most likely because everybody involved is young, attractive, and privileged. But then in May of 2010, the University of Virginia was thrust into the spotlight after a murder revealed the dark underbelly of the far too frequent college culture of binge drinking, male entitlement, and violence. Yardley Love was a Cockeysville native and graduate of Notre Dame Preparatory School. She grew up in an affluent suburban home. Her father was an investor, but sadly passed away from prostate cancer in 2003, leaving his wife Sharon to raise Yardley and her older sister Lexi. Yardley was a massive lacrosse fan and started playing the sport with her father when she was just five years old. When he passed away, it was something that made Yardley feel close to him. While in Notre Dame, Yardley took up lacrosse. According to Mary Bartle, lacrosse coach at the school, Yardley was the core personality of the lacrosse team and an outstanding athlete. While a freshman in high school, Yardley wrote an essay on her life's ambitions. If I had to wish for three things in my life, they would be to go to the University of Virginia for college, have a happy and healthy family when I grow up, and to always keep in touch and stay close with my family. So far, my life has been filled with joy and happiness, and I hope to keep living my life that way, she wrote. She was very bubbly, fun-loving. She was full of jokes. She always had something up her sleeve. She honestly had the worst singing voice that you've ever heard. After leaving Notre Dame, Yardley attended the University of Virginia, where she made the lacrosse team in freshman year, which is extremely rare. She was named second team all Baltimore County by the Baltimore Sun in 2005 and was part of the Cavaliers team that made it to the NCAA championship in Philadelphia. Yardley's classmates recollected that she could rarely be seen without a smile on her face. She was extremely down to earth, bubbly and had an infectious personality. In addition, she was very intelligent and excelled in her classwork just as much as she excelled on the field. According to Yardley's sister, Lexi, she never made fun of anyone. She always wanted others to feel good. She was tenacious. She gave you her best all the time. As a coach, that's, that's the greatest gift an athlete can give you. It was while in the University of Virginia that Yardley met George Hughley. George had come from an exceptionally wealthy family and had been a pupil at the expensive private Landon School in Maryland. He was the heir to a multi-million dollar fortune and his family owned their own yacht as well as private resorts in Palm Beach and the Outer Banks. George was studying anthropology and was a member of the men's lacrosse team. He was a midfielder and was vice president of a student branch of Operation Smile, a charity that helps fund reconstructive surgeries for children with deformities. Quite often, George's father would take the lacrosse players on fishing trips on his yacht. It was in 2008 that Yardley and George started dating. In early May of 2010, Yardley had so much in her life to be looking forward to. 
She was just weeks away from earning her degree and her lacrosse team was expecting to end the season by winning a national championship. They'd been ranked number five in the nation. In fact, Yardley had considered the past few months to be the best time of her life. And with so much coming up in the forthcoming weeks, it looked to continue that way. At around 2.15am on the 3rd of May 2010, Yardley's friend called police after she found Yardley unresponsive and face down on her bed. She had feared that Yardley may have overdosed on alcohol and asked police to come to the apartment at 222 14th Street Northwest. When police arrived at the scene, it was evident that this was no accident. Yardley was surrounded in a puddle of her own blood and there was evidence of physical trauma. One of her eyes was swollen shut and there appeared to be a large bruise on her face which looked as though it may have been caused by blunt force trauma. There were scratches on her chin and she had bruising on her hands and arms. The first responders tried to revive Yardley, but to no avail. While Yardley's body was sent off for an autopsy, investigators searched her apartment for any evidence and conducted interviews with her friends and neighbours. It was quickly discovered that Yardley's bedroom door had been kicked open and there was a hole in the middle which appeared to have been caused by a fist. Yardley's autopsy would conclude that her cause of death was blunt force injury to the head and her death was listed as a homicide. Fairly quickly, George became the focus of the investigation after a friend said that the relationship between the two had been less than harmonious. But we'll get into that later. They found George at his own apartment, located near Yardley's apartment. It was immediately noticed that George had bruised knuckles and a cut on his arm. Investigators asked him to come down to the police department for an interview, to which George agreed. Tell me about your day yesterday. Played golf with um, our parents. It was a a father-son. Good event, I mean. Where was that at? At um, Wintergreen. Mm-hmm. Okay. I went to dinner with my dad and my two buddies. Where was that? We're joking. I went to see you now. Okay. Um, and then uh, went home, went to the bar for like a little while, and uh, then went home, drank a few beers, went, like, had, um, I went to the bar for a little while, I went to Boiler Heights. Oh, okay. Um, then I went over to talk to Yardley, and, but when I went over to talk to Yardley, I, I, like, was like, Yardley, and she was, like, already, like, totally freaked out because of what she did this past, like, a few days ago, and she, we hadn't talked since, and I was just going to go talk to her, mm-hmm. and... She was already like, oh, like freaking out. Like, you know, you can't go in, you can't go in. And I was like, I'm like just trying to talk to you. And like, she like started being like, like getting like all like, you know, like really like defensive. Her front door was open, mm-hmm. her room door was closed. I knocked like, like are they like, she heard me open the door and, and went in. Straight to her bedroom, yeah, I mean. How'd you get through the door? Her door, the mm-hmm. front door. Her door. 
Actually, it might have been locked. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. Just, just be honest with you. Yeah, no, yeah, it was actually it was locked. Yeah, because yeah. I think I put a hole. Yeah, you punched a hole through the door. Pretty sure, actually, now yeah, that okay. you said that, yeah. Right. Why did sure. you do that? Because I won't talk to her because mm-hmm. she sent been sending me like emails. Was she like, telling you to leave emails. or? Well, I, I guess, yeah, when I, once I was in her room, she was, like, very, like, you know, like, or, like, no, like, I don't want to talk to you, like, all this stuff. So I went in there to talk to her, and, and she was very, like, you know, very on edge, like, I don't want to talk, like, I don't want to talk, like, uh, you know. Okay. I was like, listen, like, you, what you pulled last week was outrageous. Like, I just want to talk to you. Why did you push the door there? Because I want to talk to her. So you're, you're talking to her and she doesn't want to talk to you? Not really. I mean, and, I mean we talked, though. With, like, there was parts where we were talking and then, like... Do you know what you're talking about? I mean, about so many different things. Okay. And I was over there, like... Like to talk, like I was like, this is like, this is outrageous. Like, I mean, and because I was trying to make everything better, and and then like, you know. So, Let us go back to you're in her room tonight. Yeah, last night. Last yeah, night. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so, so she's like in the corner for beds, like if her bed would push all the way back, like in the corner, like. And she was like, I'm not, I'm not talking to you. And then she like, pushed me, like, get out of here. Like, like, go. And I was like, no. And like, I was like, be like, we have to talk. Like, it's like, get like. When, you, when you're doing that, what, what are you holding on her? On her arms. On her arms, like maybe up here? Like shoulders, yeah. Shoulders? Like, be like, like, like okay. yeah, like, like, never like, str- never like, you know, I mean, if I could like, Show you. I, no, I'm sorry. I know. Just I know. Like, 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 come on, like you know. And see, that's when she would like wiggle and like, like get away and like you know like hide in the get in the corner like really like aggressive like defensively almost. And then we like wrestled on the ground the same way. Her nose started bleeding. And and then I was and then she ended. I think she was back in bed, and I was and I left. I was like, oh, this is the, not going anywhere. How did she get back in bed? Uh, we were like wrestling, and we stood up, and I I tossed her. I pushed her on the bed. I was like, go to bed. Like I was talking to you later. I put. I, yeah, I'm like, I didn't like throw her, but like mm-hmm. we were like standing up at this point after we wrestled on the ground. She had like a bloody nose. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Did go, you, uh, to, go to bed. Okay. And you kind of tossed her on the bed and you left. Yeah. Okay. Did um Did you go back and check on her at any point? No, I did not. Okay. Did you uh, uh, Did you touch her neck area at all? Did you choke her at one point? Um, I may have grabbed her a little bit by the neck mm-hmm. when we were like, but I never like strangled her. Okay. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, during the whole like commotion, you know, like I, we may have, I might have grabbed her neck, but I never was, never was like strangling her. Okay. All right. During the interview, George claimed that he had gone over to Yardley's apartment to talk 
and hopefully work things out. However, he confessed that he had punched her front door and then kicked it down. Once inside, he said that an argument ensued between the two of them and they began wrestling. He claimed that he never struck Yardley or never hit her in the face. He admitted that he had drank anywhere between 15 and 20 alcoholic beverages that day, leading up to Yardley's death. Did, when, when you left her apartment, did you take anything with you? No, nothing she was at all. In her bed. All right, all right. Because um, I, I think we're not. Her her laptop is missing. I guess. Did you grab it for any reason? Uh, yeah, I did actually. You did. Okay. Is it at your apartment? Yeah, okay. somewhere in my apartment. I can. Okay. Give it to her. Why'd you grab her laptop? Because I was so pissed that she wouldn't talk to me. I was like, I don't know. I like took it almost as like collateral, I guess. I don't know. It's it's not reasonable logic, but right. Okay. I don't know. Did you take anything else besides no, the laptop? No. Nothing. No. Okay. I mean. All right. So when uh, when you left out of there, I mean, you saw that she was bleeding on her nose. Did, mm-hmm. did you try to call rescue or anything? Make sure she's all right. No, I did not. No. Why? Uh, I didn't think it was like, in, I didn't think that she was like in need of like going to the emergency room. I, she just got, I mean, a blood. Why do you think that? I don't know. I mean, I, I did, did you say when you were, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you were shaking her, her head was hitting the wall? Well, that was in the beginning. That was initially when I walked in, like she was like up in the corner, like, like get, like get out of here, like you know, like this. Mm-hmm. Like, at, at any time when you were shaking her, did her head bang the the wall? Did did you like I mean, shake her into the wall? I know you already said you didn't punch her and stuff. And, no, and I mean, I wasn't like like throwing her into the wall. Like I mean, we were sitting on her bed, which is against the wall, and I was mm-hmm. like, like, and I was like. Like, you're like, and like, I mean, maybe, like, I wasn't hitting her against the wall, but like, when she's uh, like sitting there in the corner mm-hmm. of like, if it were like, or, like, like this, and I'm like, you're like, you know, and I, I was like, 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 what the fuck was that about? Like, that, that's such bullshit that you like do that. Like, you know, I mean, possibly, I was like, you know, that's such a like, bullshit move like what would what, like you know like everyone like came like, what are you like doing like like that like okay. george claimed that as he shook yardley she hit her own head against the wall he also told investigators that during the attack on yardley he noticed blood coming out of her nose he pushed her onto the bed before leaving george stood at six feet two inches tall and weighed 209 pounds He also admitted that he stole Yardley's computer and disposed of it, but he directed investigators to where they could recover the computer. Around halfway through the interview, the investigators informed George that Yardley was dead. Well, I have to tell you something. Well, I think I know why you took the computer. Why do you say? Is that right? Go ahead. She's dead. You killed her, George. Dead. I think you knew that already. No, I did not. She's dead. She's 
How the fuck is she dead? Because you killed her, George. How the fuck is she dead? Because you killed her. We're not here for any reason, George. She's dead? Yes. She's dead? Yes. She's dead? She's dead. How? How? I already told you how. You already told us how as well. How is she dead? You just told us. How is she dead? How is she dead? I didn't triangle. I didn't do... I, I didn't fucking hit her. George was incredulous. He started sobbing and stamping his feet. In George's apartment, investigators discovered a University of Virginia lacrosse t-shirt with a red stain on it. They also discovered a letter that was addressed to Yardley. Investigators also retrieved a number of other items which may have been potential evidence, including two white Apple laptops, a green notebook, two white socks, a bathroom rug, a shower curtain, the apartment's entryway rug, and a pair of cargo shorts. Inside the apartment, investigators took DNA swabs from the bathtub, the kitchen, the trash can, and the entryway door. George was quickly arrested and charged with first-degree murder. His defence lawyer, Francis Lawrence, described Yardley's death as an accident with a tragic outcome. Of course, this statement came as a complete and utter shock to most people. George had practically admitted to murdering Yardley. Terry O'Neill, the president of the National Organization for Women, responded and said that she was stunned by George's failure to accept responsibility for Yardley's death. The report I read is horrific. He is not accepting responsibility. He said he hit her head on the wall when he shook her as if he had nothing to do with it. It's the classic non-denial denial, she said. Following George's arrest, University of Virginia President John Castine released a statement which read, Although we know nothing other than what appears in the Charlottesville Police Department's more recent statement, this death moves us to deep anguish for the loss of a student of uncommon talent and promise, and we express the university's and our own sympathy for Yardley Love's family, teammates and friends. That she appears now to have been slain compounds this sense of loss by suggesting that Yardley died without comfort or consolation from those closest to her. We mourn her death and feel anger on reading that the investigators believe that another student caused it. Additionally, he announced that counsellors were on hand as well as the deans to provide support to any students. While the statement was hoped to release tensions, a number of students said that the fact that a student had been killed by another student left them feeling more than uneasy. News of the murder quickly swept through the lacrosse community where both Yardley and George were well known. It sent shockwaves throughout the city and many began questioning what could have happened between the couple for something so tragic to transpire. Just the day after Yardley's murder, the lacrosse team at Notre Dame honoured her memory by wearing orange ribbons in their hair during their game. Orange was the University of Virginia's colour. 
They also wrote the number one on their calves, which was Yardley's shirt number, and put black tape across their lacrosse sticks. Meanwhile, a moment of silence for Yardley was observed before the University of Virginia baseball game. Later that night, a candlelit vigil was held at the University of Virginia's amphitheatre to commemorate the life of Yardley. The university's president, John Castine, addressed the crowd. My hope for Yardley and for you is that her dying inspires an anger, a sense of outrage that no woman need ever fear for her safety. He told students to not be afraid and to speak up about violence or abuse. And he said that silence wouldn't hurt just the victim, but as well, the entire community of trust. In fact, just two weeks before the murder, Claire Kaplan, the Director of Sexual and Domestic Violence Services at the University of Virginia's Women's Centre, had organised a session for a small group of the school's athletic department staff on the potential creation of a support network to help student-athletes deal with gender-based violence. Well, we didn't specifically target them because we thought there was a problem. We're trying to educate the entire university community. We have something called the Survivor Support Network, and we're trying to to train faculty, administrators, to be able to identify problems so that they can be advocates for students. So we're trying to just train as many people as possible. Well, there's so many, it's so layered. There's so many reasons why people don't speak up. There could be the whole issue of, of team pride. There could be an issue of shame. Most women don't speak up, especially young people, don't speak up mm-hmm. because they're afraid of the consequences. Uh, the most silent group of victims of domestic violence are teenagers and young adults because they, especially if they're just dating, they think, well, this isn't really domestic violence, right? We're not married to each other. So there are a lot of myths that surround this. And she probably had a very reasonable fear that there would be retaliation if she did speak up. How her teammates or friends felt they probably all knew little different pieces but nobody put it all together. There was much debate as to whether the University of Virginia's lacrosse teams, both the men's team and the women's team, would continue their seasons. According to the women's coach, Julie Myers, the decision to continue playing was essential to the healing process. We all have unbelievable sorrow and sadness, this void in our hearts but we do feel it's important to us to try and have a little normalcy in our day and structure to our lives. And obviously, lacrosse can add to our healing. This is going to be a long process. Yardley was one of the most amazing people you could ever meet, and that's the God-honest truth, she said. The men's lacrosse captain echoed this sentiment, stating that they would honour Yardley by continuing their season. By this point in the investigation, very little had been publicly released. Since George's lawyer had made a statement claiming that Yardley's death was an accident, many pondered whether this could be true. Soon enough, however, Charlottesville Police Chief Timothy Longo announced that Yardley may have received death threats prior to her death. He said that investigators were currently in the process of looking through Yardley's computer and interviewing those who knew her and George to determine the context and extent of the threats. It would soon be discovered that this wasn't the first run-in that George had had with law enforcement. In 2007, he was arrested for reckless driving and then charged for possessing alcohol as a minor. The following year, however, his arrest took a much more sinister turn. In 2008, a female police officer in Lexington, Virginia, 
received a 911 call from somebody who reported George stumbling into traffic. When the officer arrived on the scene, George told her that he was in town visiting some friends at a frat party. When she asked if there was somebody who could come and pick him up so that he could avoid going to jail, he began threatening to kill the police officer. He then went on a diatribe laced with racial and sexual terms. We did end up on the ground at one point, kept telling him to stop resisting, that you know he needed to comply with my orders. He became more aggressive, more physical toward me. I went ahead and reverted to my taser. Officer Moss said that George then became combative and fought with her for around three or four minutes before she managed to taser him and place him into handcuffs. While in handcuffs, George became even more irate and continued to swear at Officer Moss. He was so drunk that later in court, he couldn't even remember being tasered. George pleaded guilty to resisting arrest and public swearing and intoxication. He received a 60-day suspended sentence six months supervised probation, a fine, and was ordered to complete 50 hours of community service and substance abuse screening. According to Officer Moss, George was the most rude, hateful, and combative person she had ever dealt with. I'd like to add that in regards to this incident, the policewoman was petite, while George stood at six feet and two inches tall and weighed over 200 pounds. It clearly showed that he had an evident disregard for women. Following the revelation, the University of Virginia officials announced that they were unaware of George's prior arrest. If they were, they would have ordered George to meet a Dean of Students office official and he may have faced disciplinary action, such as mandatory substance abuse counselling or a referral to the university's Judiciary Committee. They also announced that Yardley had never reported any physical abuse allegations or any other concerns about George to them. Furthermore, George had never been reported to the University of Virginia's Threat Assessment Team, which evaluates anybody who may be considered a threat to himself or anybody else on campus. While the university may not have known, it wasn't a big secret within the lacrosse community. In fact, George often retold the story but cast himself as the victim of the officer's aggression. The university president, John Castine, said that their lack of knowledge regarding the arrest highlighted the need for new policies and laws within the university. I was startled to learn that there is no notification system, either police to police department or dean to dean. We're going to require a screen each semester to make sure that we've identified any incident that has not been reported to us. He announced that they would speak with Governor Bob McDonnell and other state officials about enacting a law that would require police departments to inform universities when a student is arrested. At the time, some police departments would inform universities as a courtesy, but it wasn't mandatory. The investigation soon focused on the relationship between Yardley and George as they tried to piece together the final moments of Yardley's life. They soon began looking into tips that Yardley and George had been arguing that night at a bar near their apartment. Soon enough, more rumours began circulating that Yardley and George had been fighting in the days leading up to her murder, not just the night of. We are hearing the same things you are about incidents that might have occurred in the past between the two of them, said Lieutenant Gary Pleasance of the City Police Department. A disturbing picture of George's character soon began to emerge. He had developed an obsession with Yardley, 
and constantly texted, phoned, emailed, and wrote her letters to the point that people close to Yardley worried about the relationship. Just a few months before Yardley was killed, the couple were with their lacrosse teams at a celebratory party. At one point, the duo got into an argument and George jumped on Yardley and began choking her. A number of lacrosse players had to intervene and pull George off Yardley. Despite the fact that numerous people had witnessed the attack, nobody thought to report it to police or university officials. After the attack, Yardley called it quits on the relationship, but according to acquaintances, they could still be seen together on campus, which gave the impression that the relationship had improved. According to one friend, George had no recollection of the attack. Yardley and George had dated for two years, but in the final year of college, it had become an on and off again relationship, marred by arguments and angry and abusive emails. According to friends of George, he was furious. He punched a window of a car and smashed a number of bottles at a party, exclaiming that he was going to win Yardley back. Around a week before Yardley was killed, she went to George's apartment and found a number of other girls there. She questioned George about who they were and what they were doing there. An argument ensued during which Yardley threw her purse at George before storming out of the apartment. According to Yardley's friend, Christy, George had been seeing other women and Yardley was confused as to how other people knew about it and yet she was left in the dark. Then two days before Yardley's murder, she gathered with a number of lacrosse players and parents at Boylan Heights, which was a local team hangout. The following day, the lacrosse team had an outing at Farmington Country Club with their fathers. George started drinking early that day and was noticeably drunk throughout the day. When the group, including the fathers, went out for dinner, George was so intoxicated that he smashed a bottle of wine on the table and then broke a glass. His father suggested that he cut back on the alcohol, but George ignored him. While George was getting drunk, Yardley and her friend, Katie, went to Boylan Heights for lunch and planned on returning later that night. Several hours later, Katie went to Yardley's apartment to ask if she still wanted to go. Yardley said that she had been napping and said she might stop by later on. However, Yardley never showed up. At around 2am, Katie went back to Yardley's apartment and found her dead on the bed. Investigation uncovered that Yardley wasn't the only victim of George's rages. Around a year beforehand, George had attacked one of his teammates while he slept after he heard rumours that the teammate had walked Yardley home and kissed her. His teammates suffered bruising and both players were disciplined by the lacrosse coach, Dom Starzia, who later said that he did not know the gravity of the situation and thought that it was nothing more than a scuffle among teammates. George had also punched a classmate unprovoked and had wrapped his hands around the throat of a young woman in a bar after she told her father, who was a former high school lacrosse coach, to talk to George about his drinking problem. A number of George's friends and classmates said that George drank heavily and when he did, he would become out of control and violent. It was also revealed that in 2008, George had gotten into an altercation with his father on his 40-foot yacht. George launched himself off the yacht and was ultimately pulled in by people in another boat. According to the police report, no charges were filed because no crime had occurred, just a verbal altercation. When George's entitled and violent characteristics came to the surface, 
Many people wondered whether the special benefits as a star athlete on the nation's number one ranked team contributed to people letting him get away with his behaviour for so long. It was evident that George had a dangerous and unpredictable side and it seemingly went unaddressed until it was far too late. In fact, back when George was a pupil in Landon, an all-boys private school, he stole the coach's car keys, drove up to practice and spoke to the coach who took a minute to catch on. Following this, he was praised as Landon's top prankster. Many can't help but wonder if it was a regular student what the outcome would have been. It seems highly unlikely that such an act would be laughed off as a prank. In the wake of Yardley's murder, her parents established two memorial funds, Yardley Love Women's Lacrosse Scholarship Fund for students of the University of Virginia and the Yardley Love Memorial Fund for students of Notre Dame. Meanwhile, a Roman Catholic mass honouring Yardley's life was held. Father Joseph Scordo told the mourners that Christianity called on believers to not only treat friends and enemies with love, patience and care, but also forgiveness. He described how Yardley's friends and family could honour her life by living their best lives. He urged them to choose kindness instead of cruelty, choose forgiveness instead of vengeance, choose love instead of hate, and choose the right thing instead of the wrong thing. Afterwards, her funeral was held at the Cathedral of Mary, our Queen. Hundreds of people crammed into the church to bid one final farewell to Yardley. The dark wooden casket containing her body was covered in pink flowers. Photographs depicting Yardley's life were placed on display. Beneath the main photograph was Yardley's senior yearbook quote, Truly great friends are hard to find, difficult to leave, and impossible to forget. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Disturbingly, the Westboro Baptist Church announced that they would be picketing the funeral to remind this nation that priests rape boys because Catholics pay them to lie about God and that this nation is doomed for her hatred of the world of God, read their statement. Thankfully, however, they did not show up, which was a relief to Yardley's loved ones. Payoff.com is the paying sponsor of this episode of Morbidology. You've tried balance transfers and budgeting, but high interest rates and unrelenting bill cycles make it almost impossible to get out of credit card debt on your own. Instead of another new savings technique, you need a clear path out of debt. And that's what a payoff loan can do. 
A payoff loan is a personal loan backed by member-centric credit unions designed to help you pay off your credit cards. With rates as low as 5.99% APR and loan amounts up to $35,000 with no hidden fees and personal customer service support from payoff to help you reach your financial goals. Some of the benefits of a payoff loan may also include potential credit score boost, one monthly payment and savings from lower interest rates. Go to payoff.com forward slash morbidology to learn more. Checking loan rates won't affect your credit score. Try something new. Pay off your credit card debt with Payoff. NMLS ID 1396805. Not all applicants may qualify. Loans only available within the United States. Loan is not available in all states. Payoff works with lending partners who originate the loans. Additional terms, conditions and eligibility requirements may apply. More information is available at payoff.com forward slash morbidology. Hero Cosmetics are one of today's sponsors and they sent me over the Mighty Patch, which is an acne patch that gently pulls out pimple gunk and helps the blemish heal faster. Over the years, I've used a lot of harsh acne and skin products that have ended up irritating my sensitive skin. Furthermore, none of them ever really work at eliminating spots, so I was dead excited to try this product. Being cooped up at home, my skin has suffered, so before I went to bed, I placed the Mighty Patch on a spot and peeled it off in the morning. It's a little bit gross, but it's also satisfying to see the gunk that is absorbed on the patch. It literally made my spot vanish overnight, which is completely insane to me. No longer will I have to panic about a massive spot when I have important places to be. If you'd like to try the Mighty Patch for yourself, use code MORBIDOLOGY15 on Hero Cosmetics to save 15% on your first purchase and see the magic for yourself. With George's violent history now out in the open, college administrators, students and safety advocates said that they hoped that it would lead to the adoption of new methods for tracking violent students. Security of Campus, Incorporated, which is a non-profit advocating college safety, said that the case would hopefully lead to restructuring the National Crime Information Centre database, which could be updated with information regarding arrests of students, no matter what state the crime occurred in. In an interview, Daniel Carter, the group's director of public policy, said, We can't just write off drunken, violent behaviour as simply a rite of passage. The idea of a national database of all students' arrests, regardless of where it happened, was met with scepticism, particularly from some other students. Ross Lawrence, editor of the Cavalier Daily, a student newspaper at the University of Virginia, raised concerns that such a database would be encroaching students' privacy. Furthermore, Marlon Lynch, who is safety and security at the University of Chicago, said that it wasn't clear whether police departments would even have the resources to provide the information. Developing such a database would require support from Congress, law enforcement officials and universities. Before the week had even come to an end, Governor Bob McDonnell said that he would consult with law enforcement officials before recommending changes to state law. In mid-May, a student-led campaign was arranged for University of Virginia graduates, families 
and faculty members to wear white ribbons at the commencement ceremony as a sign of their pledge to reject violence. The students said they had wanted to use the platform of graduation to unify the community and raise awareness. When the commencement ceremony rolled around towards the end of May, Yardley was awarded a posthumous bachelor's degree in politics and government. It is a privilege to recognize all that Yardley achieved as a student at UVA and all the potential she had in life by awarding a posthumous degree, the Bachelor of Arts in Government. Her cousin, Lauren McChesney, was there to accept the degree. In the beginning of June, it was announced that there was a move underway in Virginia to expand the issuance of family abuse protective orders to include dating couples who do not live together or have children together. At the time, in Virginia, the only people who could obtain family abuse protective orders were those who lived together or those who had a child together. Couples who date but live separately were not eligible. It was the revelation of Georgia's domestic abuse history that prompted state lawmakers to talk about expanding the protections so that they would cover people like Yardley. In August, as students were preparing to return to the University of Virginia, it was announced by the new university president, Teresa Sullivan, that students would be required to report whether they had been arrested or convicted of a crime. It was hoped that screening students for criminal encounters could flag those who may commit violent acts. If a student failed to disclose an arrest, they would be violating the university's strict honour code. Once students returned, the university held a day-long event called Day of Dialogue towards a caring community, which addressed issues of campus safety and violence prevention. The event marked the introduction of Let's Get Grounded a student-led initiative to train students, faculty and other staff on how to spot signs of trouble or danger in the community and what to do about it. In September, a judge announced that George's preliminary hearing was scheduled for the 21st of January. Then in December, it was revealed that George's lawyers would be building their defence by using an expert who suggests that prescription drugs could have been a factor in Yardley's death. According to Dr Jack Daniel, a pathologist hired by the defence, he disagreed with Yardley's cause of death. Instead, he was working on a hypothesis that Yardley suffered a cardiac arrhythmia that caused insufficient blood flow to her brain, causing her to die from lack of oxygen. At the time of Yardley's death, she had 0.05 milligrams per litre of amphetamine in her blood. Beside her body, there was a prescription for Adderall, which contained amphetamine. Yardley had been prescribed the medication to manage her ADHD. Dr William Gormley, who was hired by the prosecution, said that amphetamine in any dose increases the risk of cardiac arrhythmia and said that this was a very likely internal event for Yardley. However, he said he believed that this had happened after she suffered blunt force trauma. He stood by his determination that Yardley's autopsy showed that her brain had suffered numerous contusions. With the preliminary hearing fast approaching, it was announced that George was facing five new charges, including felony murder, robbery, burglary, statutory burglary and grand larceny. He was already facing a first-degree murder charge and this additional felony murder charge referred to the accusation that he killed Yardley 
while committing burglary or robbery. Shortly after the new charges were revealed, George's defence lawyers were granted more time to prepare and the preliminary hearing was pushed back. Meanwhile, Virginia legislators approved the changes to the state's protective order laws, meaning that going forward, people in relationships that do not live together or have a child together can get a protective order. In April, the preliminary hearing began. George didn't appear in court after waiving his right to appear. Members of George's family, as well as Yardley's family, lined the front rows of the Charlottesville Circuit Courtroom. During opening statements, one of George's attorneys, Francis Lawrence, described how Yardley's death was a complete accident. Yardley's friend, Katie, who found her body, spoke about the incident. She described how she found Yardley's door kicked in with a large hole in the middle. Kevin Carroll, George's roommate, described how on the night of Yardley's murder, George had come into the apartment just after midnight and had said that he had been at the apartment of his teammate, Chris Clements, with Chris and another friend, Will Bolton. However, Chris testified that he had been in his apartment alone that night, working on a paper. Furthermore, Will testified that he hadn't gone to Chris's apartment, but he had gone to Kevin and George's apartment after Kevin asked him to call around. When he arrived, he said that George appeared extremely glazed over. Anna Lemon, Yardley's downstairs neighbour, testified that she had heard a loud noise and footsteps coming from above her bedroom on the night that Yardley was killed. She said she later saw a man walking away from the building who was wearing shorts and a bright blue shirt. Other witnesses testified that George had been wearing similar clothing that day. Ultimately, the judge determined that there was enough probable cause for the case to move forward and for George to face trial. It was announced that the trial was scheduled for February of 2012. Following the preliminary hearing, Yardley's family released a statement which read, We miss Yardley so very much and will work tirelessly to honour her legacy. It is truly devastating to wake up each day and realise that she is no longer here. Her bright, bright future was stolen from all of us. Yardley's contagious smile, kind spirit and gentle touch have left this world, but we know heaven now has an angel like no other. We will never be able to sufficiently thank everyone for their outpouring of love, support and prayers. They have given us the strength to continue and we are eternally grateful to each and every one of them. We have faith in the justice system and trust that the truth will prevail. As the one-year anniversary to Yardley's murder was approaching, Notre Dame School announced that they would be celebrating her life. Students were encouraged to adopt Yardley's spirit. They commemorated the anniversary with a prayer followed by encouragement to pay a kindness forward in honour of Yardley. Additionally, students wore t-shirts with Yardley's name emblazoned on the front, while the varsity lacrosse players wore number one, Yardley's number, during their home game that day. The school had also raised enough funds in Yardley's memory to start breaking the ground on a turf field. It was anticipated that the Yardley Love turf field would be finished in summer of 2012. This project honours both Yardley's love of sports and it keeps her spirit alive at NDP forever, said the school. George's trial began in early February of 2012. During opening statements, it was revealed that in the months leading up to Yardley's death, 
she and George had traded allegations of infidelity and angry emails. In fact, one email from George read, I should have killed you. The prosecution went on to describe how Yardley's head was smacked across the wall several times, killing her. Prosecutor Dave Chapman detailed how George had a pattern of violence against Yardley and had stolen her laptop after murdering her in a bid to get rid of incriminating evidence. It was revealed that two days before Yardley was killed, George had emailed her, accusing her of having a relationship with a University of North Carolina lacrosse player. When I found out about Mike Burns, I should have killed you, read the email. In fact, Yardley had shown the alarming email to a number of her friends. Defence attorney Francis Lawrence said that the drama in the relationship, as well as the infidelity, went both ways. During his opening statements, he said that George was extremely intoxicated on the night of Yardley's death and therefore was incapable of plotting to kill her. He claimed that George had gone to Yardley's apartment that night to talk and work things out, not kill her. He additionally said that George took the laptop as collateral, a way to get her to continue speaking to him, not to destroy evidence. Interestingly enough, he didn't touch on the subject of the kicked-in door or the hole in the middle of the door, clearly caused by George's fist. In my personal opinion, that doesn't allude to a calm chat. Furthermore, the laptop had been found in the dumpster. How is that collateral? The defence also suggested that when George left Yardley's apartment that night, he thought she had simply suffered from a nosebleed. They also suggested that the jury should consider involuntary manslaughter. In fact, the defence even put forward the theory that Yardley had asphyxiated to death and suggested that the position Yardley was found in, face down in her pillow, could have impeded her breathing, and then the blood found in her brainstem could have come from CPR efforts. Mike Burns, the so-called love rival of George, took to the stand. He described how he and Yardley had hooked up several times, starting in 2008. He said that the relationship between the two was intermittently sexual, and they would go for a month or two without contact. He described how in February of 2010, he had been in Charlottesville to spend the weekend with some friends on the men's lacrosse team. A party was being held at George's apartment. During the celebration, Mike heard a female screaming. He testified that he followed the screams and opened a bedroom door to find George with his arm around Yardley's neck. George had Yardley in a headlock and was laying on the bed, pulling her backwards on top of him as she desperately clawed at his arm, attempting to free herself. When Mike walked into the room, George let Yardley go and rushed out of the room. Yardley was crying hysterically and said that she couldn't breathe and thanked Mike for intervening. Sometime after this incident, Mike had questioned Yardley about it and she replied, everything is okay, George was just being crazy. It was a chilling prelude to what would happen just months later. Following his testimony, a number of officers testified and described the crime scene. They described how it was obvious straight away that Yardley had been attacked. She had significant visible injuries to her head and neck. Her right eye was swollen shut. She had an abrasion on her chin and dried blood near her nose and mouth. Within minutes of the officer's arrival, 
an EMS crew arrived and attempted CPR for nearly 25 minutes. One crew member performed chest compressions while another used a ventilator and then another tried to shock Yardley's heart back to life, but to no avail. Graphic photographs of Yardley were shown. A number of people in the courtroom audibly cried while George refused to look at the photographs. Michael Hanchu, who was leader of the EMS crew, described to the jury how he had attempted to use a breathing tube on Yardley and described a spatter of blood spraying from her mouth onto her neck and shoulders and his forearms. He said that this wasn't uncommon when blood has pulled inside the mouth. Stephanie Alage, who had been hooking up with George, also testified. She said that she had been a member of the same sorority as Yardley and had lived in the same dorm their first year at school. She told the jury that Yardley had been upset that she had been seeing George on and off but said that in the fall of 2009, they had cleared the air, despite the fact that Stephanie continued seeing George and had even started seeing him more frequently in the spring of 2010. While they were intimate, they had never officially dated. Nevertheless, George had always claimed that he was unattached when he was supposed to be exclusive with Yardley. Testimony was also presented that showed that in the months leading up to Yardley's death, George's drinking had increased and he was drinking heavily at least four nights a week. A number of George's teammates had been considering some kind of intervention, but sadly, that intervention didn't come in time. The testimony from those who knew Yardley and George depicted a college world where relationships are loosely defined and alcohol is frequently flowing. The murder had raised many questions in regards to the culture of entitlement among athletes in university, as well as violence against women. Many people felt as though the case highlighted how prevalent alcohol was on campus and how binge drinking was often overlooked by university officials. A lot of people had been aware of George's violent history, but chose to look the other way. Dr. Renu Vermani was called to testify in regards to Yardley's health. According to Dr. Vermani, She had examined Yardley's heart and found nothing that could have led to her death. This evidence was damning to the defence's case that a heart condition could have been exacerbated by use of Adderall and alcohol. In addition, Dr Michael Gormley, the pathologist who conducted Yardley's autopsy, also took to the stand. He told the jury that Yardley showed signs of suffocation and had a potentially lethal neck injury countering George's version of events in which he said that the two had become physical but he did not strangle or punch her. He went on to describe a series of bruises on Yardley's legs, lower back, left forearm and hand. He also described a small series of bruises on her chest which he said could have only come from somebody grabbing her. Her most severe injuries were on the right side of her face. She had suffered a battered eye as well as severe injuries to her neck and under her jaw. She also had injuries near the carotid artery and had no injuries to the left side of her face. Dr Gormley additionally told the jury that she had sustained injuries to the inside of her mouth, which was consistent with smothering. There were two police officers who also testified that when George was arrested, he had a number of bruises on his arms, legs and knuckles. This bolstered the prosecution's argument 
that George had brutally beaten Yardley. Dr. Gormley also said that the levels of alcohol and Adderall in Yardley's body was nowhere near lethal, and in fact, the amount of Adderall was in the therapeutic range for somebody with a prescription, which of course damaged the defence's theory. During cross-examination, defence attorney Rona Quaglina suggested that Yardley's injuries could have come from a fall to the carpeted floor of her bedroom. Dr Christine Fuller, a neuropathologist, was next to testify. She told the jury that she examined Yardley's brain and found evidence of brain injuries that were consistent with blunt force trauma. She found no evidence of any pre-existing problems in Yardley's brain and said the injuries to the brain were the result of the brain moving within the skull, comparing it to a passenger in a car that comes to an abrupt halt. She described how there were injuries to the brain which were caused by somebody twisting Yardley's head so quickly that it created a torque motion which caused potentially fatal damage to her brainstem. Axons are extremely delicate neurotransmitters and they are even more fragile than blood vessels. Force, especially a twisting force, can cause these axons to rip, which in turn can cause small hemorrhages on the brain. Dr. Maria Lopez, a neuropathologist at the University of Virginia, echoed this assessment in her own testimony. The most heartbreaking part of the testimony regarding Yardley's internal injuries came when it was explained that it would have taken Yardley around two hours to die. Forensic scientist Angela Rainey testified in regards to the DNA evidence in the case. She said that finger clippings taken from both Yardley and George confirmed that both of their DNA profiles could be found in each respective sample. Yardley's blood was discovered on her carpet, her underwear, her laptop cover, her bed sheets, her bed apron and her pillowcase. No positive traces of George's blood was found in Yardley's room. However, a hair sample taken from her door was found to match George. There was also a blood sample retrieved from George's shorts, which matched George's DNA and another unknown profile, which could not be determined. As the trial entered the second week, jurors were handed a stack of correspondences between Yardley and George. Some were in the form of handwritten letters and emails. One handwritten letter was an apology from George after he had choked Yardley months before her death. It read in part, I cannot tell you how sorry I am about what happened Saturday night. I'm scared to know that I can't control the way I act when I've been drinking. Alcohol is ruining my life. I assure you I will never act that way again. There were emails from Yardley where she told George she was over his drama adding that he's always too drunk to remember his actions. Then there was the email George had sent Yardley two days before her death. I love how you don't think you did anything wrong. You tell me you hooked up with Burns a week ago and then you go fuck Burns and say Burns can fuck me better than you. I should have killed you. A number of George's friends testified on his behaviour when he returned to his apartment that night. His roommate, Ken, said that there was an obvious change in his demeanour. He told the jury that he had asked George several times what was wrong because he had caught George out lying about where he had been. According to George's friends, he had a blank stare on his face. 
The prosecution rested its case. Before the defence presented their case, defence Lawrence asked during a motions hearing that most charges against George be dropped. It was incredulous, and thankfully the judge thought so too and refused the request, stating that there was ample evidence to support a jury finding in favour of all of the indictments. The defence first of all called Dr. Jan Leestma to the stand. He suggested that Yardley had died after being asphyxiated from lying face down in a damp, a bloody pillow. However, they never put forward a theory as to how Yardley ended up in that position or how her pillow ended up damp from blood. He suggested her death was accidental and the result of drinking an Adderall, despite the fact her blood alcohol level wasn't lethal and the amount of Adderall in her system was normal for somebody who was prescribed the medication. During cross-examination, Prosecutor Chapman simply asked Dr. Leestma how much he was paid to testify for the defence. He replied, $8,000. During closing arguments, defence Francis acknowledged his client had a role in Yardley's death, but blamed his actions on youthful indiscretion and the couple's volatile relationship. He urged jurors to find George guilty of a lesser charge. He claimed that the prosecution had failed to show intent. It wasn't until 30 minutes into his statements that we heard anything about intent. They describe a tussle, a fall, but no intent to kill, he said. During his closing arguments, Prosecutor Chapman refuted this, stating that George had killed Yardley in a drunken, jealousy-fueled rage. Yardley Love made a decision that was life-changing for her, her mother and her family. She decided to stay home, he said. He went on to say how Yardley should have been safe in her own apartment and described how Yardley never stood a chance due to the size difference. He told the jury how George had claimed he went to Yardley's apartment to speak to her and then referenced the large hole in Yardley's door that had been kicked in by George. What kind of conversation starter is that? That's the beginning of terror, ladies and gentlemen. You put your foot through a door and then reach your arm through and unlock it. Can you imagine what that's like for the person on the other side of the door, he said. The defence had shown a video of Yardley and George holding hands just the day before Yardley was murdered. They had hoped that this would be the last image in jurors' minds. However, in seeing that image, A lot of people couldn't help but think how in less than 24 hours after this warm scene, George would kick down Yardley's door and fight. Something he himself had confessed to doing. After nine hours of deliberation, the jury reached a verdict. They found George Hughley guilty of second-degree murder, rejecting the first-degree murder verdict and a possible life sentence. Instead, Jurors recommended a 26-year prison term for George. Outside of court, Prosecutor Chapman made a statement. All I see is loss. It'll be that way forever. There, you know, it's such a rough approximation. Uh, we just wish that it, it didn't happen. During the sentencing phase... Yardley's mother described Yardley's death as unbearable. Every year that goes by, I'd like to know what you'd be doing now, said Sharon. 
She wept when she said that she was afraid of forgetting little things about Yardley. She said that in the immediate aftermath of Yardley's murder, she kept thinking she would appear into the room at any moment, but as more time passes, she remembers that her daughter is never coming into the room again. Her sister Lexi described how her death had left a large hole that nothing will ever fill. They both described how passing of time had not eased the pain of their loss. Ultimately, the judge would formally sentence George to 23 years in prison. George was given the opportunity to speak to Yardley's family. He said, I'm so sorry for your loss and I hope you find peace. His release date is the 30th of May, 2030. He will be 42 years old, still with the majority of his life ahead of him. Unlike Yardley, and still young enough to create a life of his own, again, unlike Yardley. What is enough? I don't know what's enough. Um, nothing's enough. Nothing will bring Yardley back, so. Um, but I try and not go there. Maybe we were all too naive and didn't realize what was possible or what other people were capable of, I think. Yardley saw the good in everyone and probably ignored the bad for too long. Um, and if, if that is a mistake, that was her mistake. I'm hoping Yardley's story will be a catalyst to, for others to look more closely at their relationship and, and do something about it. The murder case of Yardley Love was haunted by what ifs. At what point could this tragic outcome have been prevented? According to statistics, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence at the hands of an intimate partner. One in four women and one in seven men have experienced severe physical violence at the hands of a partner. Research indicates that the most dangerous time for a battered woman is after she ends the relationship. Research in the United States alone indicates that women who leave their abusers are at a 75% greater risk of being killed by their abuser than those who stay. Far too often, domestic abuse goes unnoticed. But in the case of Yardley Love and George Hughley, all of the signs were there. George had a history of violence against Yardley, but people chose to ignore his alarming behaviour. And in the end, it was Yardley who paid the ultimate price. Well, guys, that is it for this episode of Morbidology. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'd like to say a big, massive thank you to my new Patreon supporters, Emma Cotty, Bethany Clarice, and Opal Wick. I am eternally grateful for your support. If you'd like to support the show in return for exclusive episodes of Morbidology Plus, early release episodes, ad-free episodes, and other goodies, then check Morbidology out on Patreon or Himalaya Plus. The links are in the show notes. Can I also ask that if you enjoy Morbidology, please consider giving me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It truly helps out. Big thank you to everybody who simply listened to an episode as well, shared an episode, commented on an episode, 
all of the support is very much appreciated. Also, make sure you visit us at morbidology.com for more information about this episode and to read our true crime articles. And stay tuned to the end of this episode to hear a promo for the amazing true crime podcast, Resolved Mysteries. Until next time, take care of yourselves, stay safe and have an amazing week. Hi, we're Eliza, Allison, and Carlin, and we're the hosts of Resolved Mysteries Podcast. Our podcast follows the 80s and 90s television show Unsolved Mysteries, hosted by Robert Stack. We have a love for true crime and the unsolved. If you don't remember Unsolved Mysteries, we forgive you, but you don't have to know to get into our show. If you like true crime stuff, ghost stuff, alien stuff, or just stories about... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Weird shit like Bigfoot. This is your podcast. The stories we cover range from totally ridiculous to truly heartbreaking. We do detailed research on all of the segments that Unsolved Mysteries aired, then drink some wine and give you the latest updates on every case. We talk about stories that will leave you laughing, crying, and occasionally outraged. Resolved Mysteries podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite pods. Join us and perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.